Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. We honour you. Close your eyes with you. Father, I just thank you that we can be here this morning, not in the presence of just each other, Lord, which is wonderful as it is, but in your presence this morning that you are here in a special way, as your word says, where two or more come together in your name. And that's the name we're in this morning. That's why we're here. You, Jesus, unite us. You call us together as one family. Your blood brings unity. Your blood brings forgiveness. Your blood makes us now family. And I just want to praise you and thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the family here at Kalamunda. Father, we just pray this morning that you would do a fresh thing, a fresh word, something in this season for every heart that would be available to say, hey, I'm open to the Lord this morning. I'm open to God this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord. We're so glad you joined us. We're so glad you're here. This is a a safe place. This is a place to come. Whether you believe or not, you can belong and know that God loves you. So Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in advance. And everyone with faith said... Amen. Amen. Yeah, grab your seat. Great to be with you. My name's Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's just wonderful to be joining with you to start your week off. You made a good decision. You should be proud of your first decision of the week. Was I'm going to church Sunday morning. I'm going to be in the presence of God with the people of God to hear the word of God for the glory of God. And you made that decision. So well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. Hey, we didn't have church news on the screen. So I am your church news this morning. I'm going to try and make it as exciting as everyone does on the screen. So here we go. You ready? So just a few things to be aware of. Next, this Tuesday night is Young Adults Grow Night. In our Young Adults Ministry, we have Spiritual, which is the Grow Arm. We have Social, which is the Hang Arm. And we have Service, which is the Once a Month Young adult services arm. So I, at the moment, look after the grow and we get together on a Tuesday night at 7.30 here in the foyer and go deeper into uh, the questions and the things of God. And that's, you need that in your life. If you, if you really want to grow, you've got to be intentional. I think I'm just going to preach from the announcements this morning. I'm getting a sermon just from the announcements. You've got to be intentional. So that's on Tuesday night. Uh, also next... Sunday. Uh, every month we sit together as a staff and try and think about something social. And next Sunday we've, we're going to the beach after the service. So Coogee Beach at 12pm. I believe that's where the shark nets are, so we picked that one. Uh, so 12pm, BYO lunch, just come and hang out and be together. Just a social thing. It's no, uh, it's no like start and finish time. It's just at 12pm we're going to be there for hopefully a, a swim and some lunch. Uh, also, how was youth on Friday night? The Amazing Race was good, yeah? And this week is Foam Festival. Just leave it at that. Don't give any context at all. It's Foam Festival this week. Now, 6.30, Friday night here uh, with Tim and the team. He's away today um, on Friday night. So any information, see someone that looks younger than me. That'll be good. Um, Hey, you will notice on the way in there is a lot of lost property. A lot of lost property. So we put it on on the desk uh, out there on your way in. Please... um, if it doesn't belong to you, take it. If it does belong to you, take it. Just take the lost property, okay? Now, if it's yours, please, we just want to give an opportunity before the bonfire night. So please take your clothes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> also, just a reminder, the AGM is coming up on Monday, the 4th of December. If you remember, you will soon be receiving an AGM pack with all of our reports. I can't wait 
No, not many people say that about AGMs, but I can't wait um, for, to, to, to look through them reports and see what God is and has been doing. Uh, 7 p.m. Monday, the 4th of December. And if you are not a member or becoming a member or interested, we really have chatted about this as elders. We'd love you to be there. It doesn't, obviously, constitutionally, you can't vote on things, but we'd still love you because we've got a bit of a backlog catching up on people to become members in our process. And we'd still love you to feel welcome and a part of the family. Even if you can't vote, that's fine. It'll be great for you to hear the life of the church. So you are welcome. And lastly, before I get into the word uh, this morning, is uh, I just want to say a big thank you to our eldership team, to Dave, to Tim, to Claire, to Brian, and to your partners, husbands and wives. We've just got back yesterday from uh, two nights and two and a half days, or three days nearly, uh, of our elders and leadership retreat. And I just want to thank them and honour them. Um, They gave up their time, you know, I'm the only one getting paid on that day. They gave up their time. They're volunteering. And we all paid our own way for accommodation down in Mandra. And we just sat together. Uh, and it was very full on and very intentional. And uh, it was wonderful. We had, a, we had absolute wangy of a time. <laughs> and if you don't know what a wangy is, um, you need to look it up. But it, you, when you play the game Boulder Dash, everyone played Boulder Dash? Yeah, we had a wang of a time. It's a lentil above a door. It's got nothing to do with anything, but Rob is not here today. He said, if you can get that in your sermon, I'd be really proud of you. So, <laughs> um, and I just want to say to you, really thankful for that and the time we were able to spend together, invest in the life of our church. There's going to be some, some things to outwork and some announcements and things going forward, but I'm really excited and feel like we were able to get to a real place where, where we, we have a sense of vision and direction. And so early next year, uh, we're going to be holding... Uh, like a volunteer appreciation time early next year. We'd like to do it at the end of this year, but the year is running away. And there's going to be opportunity to really hear about uh, where we're heading and this next season that we're in. So that's wonderful, yeah? All good. All right, well, let's get, we're in this series about Nehemiah. I want to preach the Word of God to you this morning. And it is from chapter 9 of Nehemiah. You remember last week, we're up to, we're up to about that place. We did chapter 8. But Nehemiah, this wonderful book, and if you've, you've never read it, it's a powerful book about leadership, about a man called Nehemiah. They do, some believe that he was the smallest guy in history in the Bible. I don't know if that's true or not. So some believe that he was very small, knee high, Maya. Anyway, <laughs> the dad jokes are coming. And he, he had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we see in this part last week, we saw last week, if you were here, it was fantastic. I got a lot out of last week, so I'm just thankful to the Lord um, about about taking God's words seriously, how they, they come to a place of hearing God's word, some for maybe the first time. And when you really hear God speak to you, it will change your life. Maybe not audibly. I know there are people in this room who have heard the audible voice of God. I'm not one of them. But I have heard God speak to me in my heart many times, through his word many times. And when God's word comes forth, when he speaks, see, see Jesus put it this way. He said, you don't live by what you eat. You don't live by bread alone, he said, but you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when you get a word, and it's always my prayer that when you come to church, you'll get a word that's proceeding from God's word. What does that mean? It means it just, it hits you afresh. It might be written thousands of years ago, but it's like it's coming into your mailbox today and it means something to you. That's when God's word gets on the inside of you and it really will change your life. And we saw last week how they took God's word seriously and are coming to a place of revival. We've called this series Hearts and Walls because it's not just about rebuilding a wall, it's about rebuilding broken lives. And if you're here this morning and there's brokenness in your life, you're in the best place you could be 
because God is the rebuilder of brokenness. Let me get into the word. We're going to read Nehemiah chapter one. It says, uh, sorry, chapter nine, verse one, which says, so remember they'd all come together for, I'll get into it. Now on the 24th day of this month, if you remember this month is the seventh month, it's the month of their festivals and Jewish celebrations. It's an important month and they, they were told on the first, first and second day, hey, don't mourn because of looking at the great sin that you've been through and, the, and all that sort of stuff, but rejoice, the joy of the Lord. Go and rejoice. So they've been rejoicing, but now it's the 24th day and it says this, the people of Israel were assembled and they came back together with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord, their God. I want to talk this morning about getting real with God. Too often we take ourselves too seriously and God not serious enough. But this is a moment in the history of God's people in Nehemiah where they start to take God very seriously in their lives and they get what I would say real with God. Um, this takes place in revival is coming to the heart of God's people. What follows in the rest of this chapter, which I'm not going to read, but is the longest recorded prayer in all of the Bible to go into a prayer. So if you get lost in the sermon, just read the prayer, but it goes in. It's a rehearsal of Israel's history, of God's faithfulness and Israel's failures. They do this long prayer and they just, all the history. And when I think about it, I can get that because I look back over my life and I can see all my failures and all God's faithfulness. See, when you are faithless, he is faithful. Your walk with God is not reliant on what you do. It's all reliant on what he has done. At the cross, Jesus. And so I can just see in the history as they're looking at it, they see God is so faithful. And in his faithfulness, it helps me overcome all my failure. See, the people had been rejoicing that the wall was now complete and they had got into the word of God, the book of the law. And three weeks from that, they further return to his word and they break out in all this confession of sin confessing their sin and getting right with God. You could say the people are getting real with God and revival is the result. They revive their hearts. Getting real with God in your life this morning can cause a revival in your life. Someone once defined revival because it's quite a, a word that gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it, in churches and we love it and what does it mean? And someone said this, the so it's the sovereign activity of God whereby he renews his people individually and corporately in vigor, affecting both their sincerity of belief and a change in quality of behavior, like something shifts and changes. Revival is when something that was dead comes back to life. I love what Charles Finney said. I love that. Charles Finney, the revivalist, he said, revival is nothing more or less than a new beginning of obedience to God. It's nothing more, nothing less, but it's a new beginning. It's when you're going one direction in an area of your life and you say, Lord, I can see that I need to change, I need to turn, and it's turning in a new beginning of obedience to God. There's a revival of life on the inside. It's not that God's left you. It's not that he's lost. He's not like, he's not, um, you know, he's inhibited by your sinful acts. He's inhibited by your mistakes, but he just wants the best for you. He wants the best for you, so he's with you, and he's like, he's trying to turn you in a direction that will revive you and bring fresh life 
in your life. And I want to give a few thoughts that we see, just real three thoughts, two really, from three verses that we read. It says this, number one, the first thought is that when you want to, if you want to see revival in our lives and in our church, number one is there needs to be a brokenness for sin and sinners. I love that. The people were assembled with this fasting and sackcloth. I don't know if you've ever worn sackcloth lately. You can get it at the DFO, I think, going cheap. Sackcloth. And they had earth on their heads, it says, sand on their heads. And so imagine the scene. This would have been quite a scene. They're coming together in this weird fashion, and they've got sackcloth, they've got, and they've got uh, all this dirt on their heads, and it covered their heads. And you're thinking, what's going on? And they're in a formal assembly together. And I love when you get together with God's people. This is where powerful things happen. They were fasting, which means their stomachs were empty. Their hearts were grieving. They were fasting. Why? Because they were mourning for the sin in their life and in their history. It actually affected them. It actually meant something. So there's a few different kinds of people in the church. There's people that are desperate and hungry for revival, which causes them to, to put things second place and God first place. And then there are some people who are, would like revival, but don't really want to, aren't really hungry for it. And then there's just the apathetic. It's like, whatever, I'll just keep doing my thing and God's looking for a people that are desperate and broken over sin that destroys lives and are broken to a point where they want to they're fasting they're not eating they're mourning they're grieving and they're humiliated there's humility sorry about their sin they were broken over the past and I want to tell you there is never a revival without the acknowledgement of death Revival starts at this place of brokenness, when something has died. And it's when you bring, when you come uh, with humility, a person says, you know what, this part of my life, this area is dead. It needs reviving. My walk with God is dead. It needs reviving. And uh, the first place to start is with a funeral to say, this is dead. I need it alive again. Acknowledging it and being humble enough to admit it. When Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus in Revelations 2, he said, you've got all this stuff going on. But he said in verse 4, I hold this against you. You have left your first love. Or New King James, you have forsaken. You've forsaken. You've left it. Your first love for me. He said, repent and do the things you did at first. He said, you need a revival. You can do all the activity. You can have all the things going on. It's like a marriage. You can have all the, all the activity. You can have all the things going on. You can be doing, going through the motions. But is the love there? Is the first love there? And God's saying that, I want to be your first love. And he says, I want you to know that's where revival starts. When you go, hey, this area is dead. This part of my life is dead. I need reviving. The first step to being broken is to bring dead stuff to God. What about us this morning? What do we need to bring him? Is it we need to bring him that relationship that is dead? Bring him that offense? Bring him that hurt from the past? Bring him that addiction? Bring him that that area in your marriage? Bring him whatever it looks like and say, God, I need reviving. I'm humble enough to admit that I need reviving in my life. A lot of churches need to have this attitude in our hearts. We can't just be about our image. No, we need to get real with God sometimes and say, do I need a revival in my life? heart notice they were having this dirt on their heads and when they threw dirt on their heads they were symbolically identifying with death having that soil there was like a symbol of 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 death and they're in the ground and dead and buried and so this is what they were actually doing Ezekiel said the soul that sins will surely die the apostle Paul reflected on the fact and said the wages of sin is death and so they realized with the sin in their life 
that there had been a death in their relationship with God. Not their relationship with God was dead. There'd been a death in that fellowship and that connection and that obedience to God. And they come in fasting and realize that, hey, sin always produces death. So that, that verse in Romans says the wages of sin. You know, you, when you get your wages at the end of the week or the end of the month, you deserve them. You know, it's not a gift. <laughs> You've, it's, and God says the, the wages, what you deserve for sin, the Bible says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When I come into this earth, I was separated from God and the wages of my sin is separation, is death. So this might sound a bit heavy this morning, but... But it is. Uh, Charles Finney said this, sin is the most, he said, sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. Nothing else can cost you so much. And we should be broken over the consequences of sin in our own lives. We should be broken over what sin is wreaking havoc in our world. We should be broken over the tsunami of sin around us. It should push us to our knees and it should push us like these people to examine ourselves before we take communion together this morning and go, Lord, is there an area in my life that I need to bring to you? Notice they were fasting and fasting is a whole other sermon, but they were deliberately denying themselves to seek God. I, I like to think of when you make room in your stomach physically with something physical, you're making space for something spiritual for God. Fasting is disconnecting from things of this world so you can connect with God in prayer and you're sharper. There's a sharpness when we fast and pray. There's a keenness that comes over your senses spiritually to know God. You know like when you haven't eaten for a while? If you haven't eaten for a while and you just drive past KFC, man, I could be 75 Ks from KFC. I can smell that chicken if I've been fasting, if I haven't eaten. Why? Your senses are heightened physically. So it is in the spirit. You are heightened to the voice of God. Your senses are sharper to hear him, sharper to receive revelation from his word when you fast and put aside a meal to seek God. And, and they're fasting God. They're getting real with God. You know, people that fast and pray, it's hard because you're getting real. You're getting serious. You're going to deny your flesh and look to the spirit. And that's what they're doing to get, be broken. Fasting can unlock God's power in a fresh way and it can help you overcome the devil. If you've got an area in your life you bring into God and it's a, it's a repetitive thing, it's, Lord, I need help in this area. Fasting is a secret power, I believe. It's not the fasting, it's the connecting with God, but it is a tool to use to be able to overcome the power of the devil. Think about it. When Jesus was in the wilderness, before he did anything of power of any miracle before anything happened he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and when he was hungry the devil came and tempted him and in his fasting he was able to he was in a place where he was so sharp to the spirit of God I believe I believe Jesus in his humanity of course he was divine but he didn't do this with divinity he did it with humanity and what he was doing was saying flesh my, my, my sinful nature, not that he had one, but you know what I mean? My nature, my, the temptations, I'm going to beat you down, so to speak. I'm going to subject you to, to, for 40 days and 40 nights. And then when the temptation comes, I'm going to be so empowered by the Spirit that I'll know to say, it is written. Get out. It is written. Get out. It is written. And the Bible says that he returned in the power of the Spirit. And that's what they do. The people are about to experience the power of the Spirit. Just a little side note there on fasting. Romans 8 verse 6 says this, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Fasting helps God's people bring their flesh into subjection to their spirit and be controlled. So let me ask you, who's in government at the moment in your mind? 
Who's the government? It says if it's your, the old Brad, the flesh, just refor, um, referring to my old nature, the one that is actually dead, the one that is died. Paul said, reckon yourself dead in Christ. He, he died. We died with Christ. And now they're no longer in government, so the government is now the Spirit of God. And the more that I get into God's Word and take it seriously and renew my mind, I'm being governed by God's Spirit. And guess what that means? Life and peace. And what are people in desperate need of today in our world? Not more money, not more this. They're desperate for life, real life, and peace in their life. You cannot buy that can you you can't pay for a good night's sleep to put your head on the pillow and go oh it's so good to have peace with God and the peace of God in my life and that's governed by the spirit all revivals are preceded by this conviction of brokenness and sin Psalms 51 says this the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit God will not despise a broken and humbled heart broken and humbled heart where you're willing to say Lord Mold me, change me, do what you want to do in my life. And in the second verse, the second point, the first one is brokenness over sin, brokenness over what sin does. But the second thing is they went into real, and I say real because it's real confession and repentance. Because there is a confession that is just what we talked about last week, worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow, where we just maybe... church denomination that people may go to and they just know I've just got to say my sins I just got to say sorry and that's not real confession and repentance these people were it says that they separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers they they repented by putting away known sin and verse 2 that they say says they separated themselves from all foreigners now this would have been painful because many of them had married foreigners I'm not saying to leave anybody's spouses this morning. Just let us clear that right up now. I'm not saying to leave people, leave necessary relationships. What I am saying here is a principle of radically cutting off the things that God has told you to cut off out of your life. Real confession of sin is forsaking it, not just confessing it, but saying, I'm turning from that. And this is what they're doing. They're forsaking the things that God said and saying, I can't be a part of that anymore. I've got to leave that. Jesus said to that woman, leave your life of sin. And forsake it and go move away from it. Jesus said it this way on the next uh, slide. He said in Matthew 8, 18, 8. If you thought it was getting heavy before, listen to Jesus. It says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. It is better to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands and two feet and be cast into the everlasting fire. It's a hellfire and brimstone preacher, Jesus, isn't he? Verse 9, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell fire. Now, if we were to take this scripture literally, next week our church would look like... <laughs> we'd all walk in with crutches and we'd all walk in a wheelchair. What happened? I applied the sermon, Brad. I have no eyes left. I've got one leg. He's not taking, he's saying to take it literally. He's saying if it causes you to sin, I want you, if this is something in your life that's holding you back, come on, you've got, I've got more for you. I've got life for you. You don't need to be stuck down when the sun sets you free. He wants you to be free indeed. And um, <laughs> just think for a moment though, just go with me hypothetically. If I was to try 
and to cut my eye out because it was causing me to sin. If I was to literally do that, who knows, it would be really hard on my own because I personally would keep moving. Every time I'm trying to gouge it out with a knife, I'd be like, ah, miss me, miss me. To literally do this, stay with me, to literally do this, it would be really helpful if I had somebody to hold my head still. That's why dealing with sin doesn't happen well in isolation. Because in isolation, when we deal with sin that is crippling us, there's no accountability but to ourselves. I don't know about you, I'm not very accountable to myself. And I actually sometimes need somebody to come and hold my head still and acknowledge them in confession of sin to say, I am struggling, this is crippling me, this is not helpful, I can't get over this. Would you hold my head still while we gouge this thing out? It's done with community, it's done with safe people you trust. I love how James said it, he said, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed I love that thought the prayer of a righteous person has great and power as it is working it's effective but confess your sins to one another he says and pray for one another that you may be healed why does he say this he says this because there's something powerful about confession and the people of God are doing this in Nehemiah. They're confessing their sins. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to get up and take turns and we'll spend the day here and you come and confess to your biggest sin. Maybe just do that now. Just turn the person next to you and tell them the biggest sin you think you've ever done. Not really. It's not that, but it is having safe people and a safe place where you can share and be real. And these, I mean, the Israelites, they're going nuts. You can see they have the big assembly and they've got no shame. They're just going for it. They're confessing their sins and the sins of the, the past sins. Of, and, and there's this power in confession. And James says, when you do that to one another, there is opportunity for healing because what you don't confess can't get healed in some ways, he's saying. Confess your sins. That you may be, there may be healing there. And it's a powerful thing to do. Why? Because of a thing called light. The moment... We bring sin into the light and expose it. It loses its power. Jesus is the light of the world. We know God is light. We know when we bring it into the light and confess it in a safe place with someone you trust and you say, I need help with this. Would you help me gouge this out? The confession of sin is a powerful part of the Christian life. It really is. It's also, I would say that with a warning. Make sure you are careful who you share it with. Because sharing this with the wrong people can be devastating in your life. So you want to share it with safe, trusted people to say, hey, can you keep me accountable while we gouge my eye, while we gouge this out of my life? Can you help me with this? I just want to confess it in this place. And it brings it into the light. If it's kept in the darkness, the devil has all the power in the light. He's exposed no power and you disarm sin. Getting practical this morning, yeah? I remember a young guy walked into my office and uh, years ago, this is not here, years and years ago, and he just was so weighed down. And uh, he walked in and he just, you could just see just the weight that he'd been carrying. And I said, mate, what's going on? And he was able to share with me about some of the sin in his life. Some of his sin that led to really bad choices, led to um, the termination of a child, abortion, all these things. And he'd been carrying it for so long. And when he was able to come and sit there, and for me just to weep with him and go, Romans 8, there is now no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want to tell you, mate, you've confessed that. And you're going to leave it here. 
and I can share some of my journey with him and able to share and say, I know what this feels like. I've been there. I've been in that place. And there's no judgment or condemnation. And I was able to say to him, today you're going to leave this and you've confessed it and, 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 and it's gone and we're going to pray together. And he ended up going into ministry and leading young people to the Lord and all sorts of things like that. It was powerful. But there was just something that came in that room as he was able to be vulnerable and confess. And I want to ask you and challenge you this morning, do you have somebody in your life? Because if we're going to be a church that isn't just great on the outside but is serious with God on the inside... We need these relationships. You need these things in your life. If you're serious about growing in God, you need to get real. We need to get real like God's people did back then. So what were these people confessing? Let's get back to context. What were they confessing? Well, they were confessing and repenting of their idolatry. Praise God, we don't have any of that today. Imagine that. (laughs) Idols. Uh, Our disobedience, their rebellion, and... And they were repenting of things of the past. And they were saying, Lord, they end up making a covenant with God at the very end of this chapter. Read it at home. At the very end, they make an agreement. And this agreement has six things in it that they're going to do, which they fail again at, as we all. But hey, it's not, about, it's not about that failing again. It's about, as you see their hearts here, God, we want to be right with you. We want to be cleansed from this stuff. And we want to make a fresh covenant with you. And that's what repentance really does. Uh, John, 1 John, the epistle 5, the very end of his whole thing, the last verse in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, uh, he says this, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In the New Testament. And with us, as I said, I was joking before, we know that there is idolatry, idols. Keep yourselves from it. Notice he says, you've got to do it. You be responsible to keep yourselves from idols. Don't let an idol is anything that comes first place before your relationship with God. An idol is anything that steals your first devotion to God. And he says, keep yourself from that. And in a few moments when we come to communion, I want to encourage you to examine your own heart and say, do I need to smash some idols i love young josiah in the bible didn't he become king when he was like eight years old and the first thing he did when he found the book of the law when god's word got serious with him is he's like man we're going to do some idol smashing today right who's get the ministry team for and they just smashed all the idols and sometimes we've got to do that in our own life to set a fresh covenant with god so to speak it's not that the covenant's changed it's just our hearts coming back to say lord would you help me i want to put you first in my life i've let other things creep in and steal my fresh devotion. So as the worship team come back up, this last thought, I don't even know if I've put this on the screen. Oh, it's the last scripture, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's a fresh worship and praise in your life when you have a revived heart. It's not just a song on the mouth, but a fresh walk in your life when you really know that you've been cleansed, that you're forgiven. And communion, when we come and we, these elements we're going to take, really, this, that is just the tool that Jesus wanted us to use to always remember it's not what you do, it's what he's done. But it, always come back and remember, hey, keep a repentant heart. Like keep a heart that's repented. How do I know I'm saved today? I know, I know I'm a Christian because I'm still repenting. I, I mean, I've, I've repented, I'm a Christian. But man, if I see things in my life and God shows me things and I'm like, and, and I puts his finger there, I'm like, probably going to need to move in this direction. And that's just a sign of how much God loves me. In fact, he only disciplines those that he loves, by the way. As a parent, we know how that feels. Um, And it says this in verse 3. So we got through, I was hoping to finish all four chapters today. And we're on our third verse. (laughs) 
<laughs> it says, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. We see again God's Word, how important His Word was, the book of the law, as they read it and it directed their life. It, it, it was the cleansing agent that God used. This Word will give you cleansing from the inside out, the washing of the Word, as the New Testament talks about. It's a bit like if you, if you want to get into the Word, have you heard of that thing called soap? Soap? I'll tell you what it is, soap, because who knows we need soap every day. And if you don't have soap for many days, we all know about it. But soap is, you get a bit of paper out and you write on the side of the paper an acronym S-O-A-P, soap. S is for scripture. And you get God's word out and you start reading it and you read a scripture. You might read, you might be reading through a book or you just might be reading a scripture and you just write, write what stands out to you about that scripture. And then, then what scripture is then O is for observation. What do you observe? What's, what, what is there that, what do you observe in that scripture? And you start to put yourself in the text. And then A is for application. Well, so what? So what? What does this mean for my life? What is God saying to me? Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a truth to hold on to? Is there an obedience to, to act out? And then P is for prayer. And you pray into that. And soap is a great way to go deeper. We were down at East Lake Church as an eldership team, and they were talking about how they're going deeper with their church how they want to be an outward-focused church, just like us, how they are completely outward-focused. And we went through a tour with, their whole, with, the, with some of their staff and looked at their uh, local mission activities. And in light of our faith promise, just seeking God and getting our creative juices flowing, flowing of how we are really uh, integral with the, what God is doing here in our local spaces and, and hearing from them. But you know what? Just like them, as we heard, we've, we've got to go deeper to go wider. It can't be shallow. And so this morning, I don't apologize for a bit of a deeper, a bit of a more of a, a message of that, that Christians we need. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this applies to you. We all need forgiveness. If you're not forgiven, you're not right with God. And communion, these emblems of, emblems of His body on the cross and His blood shed for us. I used to get told off when I was younger because I'd say, His blood spilled for us. And the old people at church would come and say, He didn't spill it. He did it on purpose. Stop saying that. I said, oh, just, okay, sorry. He did it on purpose. He shed his blood for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins. The only perfect son of God, the only person who could do it. And he did that for us so we could be clean. And when we renew our minds to the soap of God's will, when we put, on, put the soap on, it's not that we get cleaner and better. It's just that we get renewed and refreshed of what God has done in our life. Does that make sense? If you've got your emblems there, would you get them ready? If you've got them, if you don't got them, um, somebody throw them at you. Um, and we're going to take them in a moment. If you just prepare them, rip them off. I want you to know that we need this everyday communion. And we do this together. Do you want to throw me mine? Thanks, Sky. That would be good if... <laughs> Yeah, she's a good throw. Good arm, good arm, straight over the wicket. And a serious note, though, as we take these this morning, can we just stop? I want you to take them in your own, own time in a moment. But I just want to let a little bit of time to linger for you just to close your eyes maybe and just reflect on what the Word has said and say to God this morning, what are you saying to me? So, Father, we close our eyes before we take these emblems and we just want to say, Holy Spirit, 
What are you saying to me?